Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast series on impact, talking with entrepreneurs and organizational leaders who contribute to building a more cooperative and positive future. I'm Ursula York, the host of this series. I'm a mentor to business people who want to have a positive effect on the world around them, building strong businesses by creating value for their clients, team members, and the larger world. I'm so passionate about sharing with you the stories of entrepreneurs and leaders who have impact. They're inspiring and energizing role models. I hope you use what you learn here to be inspired about what you can do in your business and beyond. For ongoing inspiration and support to get clear on your impact and put it into action, enter your name and email at workalchemy.com. Today's guest in this podcast series on impact is Thomas M. Sterner. Tom is the author of Fully Engaged and The Practicing Mind. He's, an, he's accomplished as a musician, composer, and technician in various fields of music, as a recording and audio engineer, and in athletic pursuits from archery to golf. He speaks around the world on developing focus and discipline and lives in Wilmington, Delaware. Welcome to the podcast, Tom. I'm so happy we are able to have this conversation. Oh, I'm great. I'm really grateful to be here. Thanks for having me. So tell me how you developed this business and, and how it evolved for you. Well, it really came from a business standpoint before this uh, business that I have now, which is writing and speaking. I had a very successful service business, which was in three levels. One was I was a high-level concert piano technician, which means that I worked directly with artists from all over the world and they were all very big name artists that anybody would know. Uh, I built up quite a repertoire over the years and I would end up talking with these people directly about the piano because I was working on the piano, uh, fulfilling their needs, any discrepancies that they felt the instrument had. Uh, But we also got into conversations about discipline and how they maintain discipline through their practice. And that was one area of it. And it was a very large area of it. Then I had a door-to-door service business, which was going into people's houses and doing work. And then finally, I had, uh, if not the, was certainly one of the best equipped manufacturing shops on the East Coast. I remanufactured big grands from soup to nuts. And uh, I did that work for over 25 years. The problem with that business, which was very apparent to me by the time I hit 40 years old, was that initially I thought uh, my what was holding me back was not enough business, not enough clients. And let's just say that maxed out, I could do a thousand calls a year. And in order to accomplish that, I needed 2,000 clients because some people had work they would see once a year, some people four times a year. And also there was a constant transient. In, in Delaware, there was there's a lot of corporate activity, so people would transfer in and then transfer out. So let's just say I needed 2,000 people. Well, when I didn't have 2,000 people, getting 2,000 people seemed to me like it would solve all of my problems. What I didn't see coming was my popularity and my skill set brought me more than 2,000 people. And once I passed that number, <clears throat> I realized that all I was doing was working more hours. And then eventually I was up to seven days a week and sometimes 65, 70 hours a week, which was killing me. And I was working through four states. I had no time off and I and the, the client base continued to grow and I couldn't get to that money. And because 
it was such an artisan business, meaning a hands-on craftsman type business. People wanted me. They didn't want me to send somebody out, which was right. the reason I couldn't hire somebody. <clears throat> so what that meant was I said to myself, you know, the problem with this concept is the minute I stop working, I stop making money and I can't keep this pace up for the rest of my life. So I need a business which will allow me to make money when I'm asleep. And uh, that was when I thought, you know, what am I good at? What am I passionate about? And for all that time from the time I was a late teenager through <clears throat> this time period here that we're talking about, I had been studying Eastern thought. I had been, I was fascinated with the concept of practice, partly because of my musicianship, but everything that I was involved in, I was a gymnast in high school. Well, they were all individual solitudinal type things, archery, golf, where you basically were in charge of yourself and your, um, your practice schedule. Plus in the piano world, what people don't think about is everything you do on a piano, you do at least 88 times because there's 88 notes and <laughs> usually you do them hundreds of times. And so and you work alone all day. So that business for all those years gave me the opportunity to be in solitude and really pay attention and notice what my mind was doing, why it was being distracted, uh, how to develop um a process and an attitude of working on an instrument where you may have to do the same procedure 400, 500 times and not go crazy and maintain your interest. So I have been studying everything from Zen mind stuff to peak performance studies and sports psychology. And I've been doing that for many, many years. So I decided that, well, what I think I'll do is I'll write a book and I will put that book out there. And erroneously, I, I uh, thought because I didn't have enough information that, well, I'm going to write this book. I'm going to put a website up. I'm going to sell the businesses, which I did. Sold all the businesses to several business properties, tens of thousands of dollars of tooling, uh, sold the client base before I had anything going <clears throat> because I needed my total time in order to make the self-publish this book and get things out there. And so I did that. And a lot of people thought I was having a midlife crisis. And, uh, <laughs> But I felt like I had to jump off the cliff and then I would be committed to learning how to fly before I hit bottom. So when I started that initially, uh, I was selling two books a week and uh, nobody knew who I was and nobody knew who the book was. And I really started to wonder where I was going to land. But eventually the book took off and became uh, the practicing mind became number one on Amazon several times on stress management. Then it, it basically got picked up by New World Library and, and the rest of its history. Uh, now it's uh, an international seller with um, in like eight languages. And then I just came out with Fully Engaged. And I basically lecture and talk and coach people. And it's <clears throat> it's a wonderful job. I love being able to impact so many people's lives. And that's basically what's gotten me in front of you on this interview. <laughs> well, it, it's so interesting. I'm in reading Fully Engaged. I, there's a number of things that really struck me. And one is the thought awareness training. Can you talk a bit about that? Like what it is and, and why it's beneficial? Yes. Uh, <clears throat> thought awareness training is, you know, my selective titling of meditation. The problem with the, you can call it meditation, but the problem with meditation is that it has a lot of connotations because it's used in so many different areas. It's used in stress management, it's used in religious practices. And what we're really after in the context of what we're talking about here is, and it's the fundamental building block, you have got to become aware of the fact that you are not your thoughts, you're the one that experiences your thoughts. 
And some thoughts you initiate through your intention, but most of the thoughts that you have during the day, your mind creates on its own. And most people don't really understand that their mind is a thought machine. It's a problem solver. And if you don't give it a problem to solve, it will go looking for one. And if you're not paying attention, as it goes around and visits all these different scenarios in your life, every time it visits one, a thought is is generated and that thought generates an emotional response and then you experience that emotional response. So for most people, they spend their day in their thoughts. They're just absorbed in the thoughts that their mind is creating and they're not actually intending thoughts. And when you're in that position, you are the puppet of the mind and not using the mind as a tool to help you be more productive and to be successful. So thought awareness training is a simple process of just sitting down, uh, getting comfortable. Uh, I, I say sitting, you know, you, I, I discourage lying down because you get more relaxed and it would be easy to become drowsy and you want to remain alert. But you just sit in a chair, close your eyes so you uh, get rid of any visual distractions. Some people might put a set of headphones on or earbuds in with some just some simple white noise or, or ocean, <clears throat> something like that where it just kind of blocks out the external world. And then you you can do one of two things. You can either follow your breath or you can speak a mantra. If if you're following your breath, all you do is sit and just watch your body breathe. Now, the temptation, because we always want to be in control, is to say, uh, I'll control my breath. It's a very subtle uh, feeling, but you will have this this pull towards trying to control your breath instead of just watching it. And you have to remember that you're your body knows how to breathe. It's been doing it a long time, and it doesn't need you to instruct it. So you just—it's—it's uh, it's a little bit of an effort, but you let go of that, and you just watch your body breathe. If you're going to use a mantra, and a lot of people in the West prefer that, because not because they really know why, but the reason why is it does give them a thought to play around with. And the mantra I tell people—it really doesn't matter what the words are. The the words can be I'm. I'm still, I'm quiet, I'm successful. It really doesn't matter. It's just to give your mind a singular thought to focus on, and then you just repeat the mantra. Now, that the mechanics are quite easy. What will happen very quickly is that your mind doesn't like that, and it's, it's very sneaky, and it will, it will pull you in, and it will sneak off to the grocery store, going through things you have to pick up, or it will think about a report you have to get done, or a deadline you have to make, or it will feel regretful about something that happened last week. You will be everywhere but where you are right now. And when that happens, you won't notice it until an instant where you basically wake up. And when that, that happens, you realize, hey, I'm, I'm over here. I'm not, not paying attention to my breath or I'm not saying my mantra or I'm saying my mantra, but I'm not really hearing myself say my mantra. It's just kind of re- my mind's kind of repeating it just so I feel like I'm involved in this, but I'm really not uh, present and fully engaged in what I'm doing. So when that happens, that's where the juice is. What you do is you pull yourself back into that moment. And in that moment, two things happen. Number one, your awareness of your thoughts, your awareness of what your mind is doing without your permission grows. And your your strength and your will, your ability to pull it back on the task grows. Those two things happen. So I'm always amused when people say, uh, I'm not very good at this because I'm always chasing my mind. And my response to that is, well, You can't be chasing your mind if you're not noticing what your mind is doing. So it's really 
when you're chasing your mind a lot, that's an indication that you're doing very well, not an indication that you're not doing well. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for people to realize that that is the normal practice. You never master it. It's just a practice that you do over and over again, much like exercising. You never master exercise. You never get to a point where you don't have to exercise anymore for the rest of your life. It's just part of a healthy lifestyle. And so is this thought awareness training. And as you do that, you will get increasingly better. And then what will happen in your life is it will be transformed. You will begin to give yourself the choice of how you react in certain situations. And you will have the internal strength to make the choice. Those are the two big things that you gain from such a simple practice. 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day is all you need. Well, and that level of intentionality, that that practice is something that really goes into um, the, the topic of, of this podcast, which is impact, making a positive contribution. Are there, what are the ways that you think that your work now impacts the people that you work with? Well, what I have found through coaching and speaking is that uh, people realize for the first time how much of their life they haven't been participating in and they, they haven't been actively participating and obviously they've been there but they really haven't been in control and they haven't been making choices they've basically just been a puppet to situations and reactions uh, that are their mind is making to the situations around them so they become very self-empowered and they also become very aware and they learn to enjoy the process of achieving whatever goal they choose. Now, this goal can be a physical goal, like taking the golf club away correctly on a backswing, or it can be uh, more of a mental goal, which is dealing with a difficult person or staying on a weight loss program or um, being focused on uh, some sort of a business growth idea. And they become very involved in the process of achieving these goals and less attached to the moment when the goal is actually realized. Because I think that, you know, we spend, when we choose a goal, whatever it is, we spend 99% of the time achieving it, a very small portion of the time having achieved it. And I think that the uh, when we can learn to be absorbed in that process of achieving and actually not just enjoy that process, but gain a, a sense of peace and accomplishment and confidence out of that, that we can apply to anything that we want. That's a huge, huge impact. And that's what I'm seeing from the people that I work with. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I, I know that that always focusing on the goal kind of takes you away from the moment. Is, is that self-awareness, that enjoying the process, is that something that you think has an impact in the larger world? Do you, do you think that it starts to affect um, the way people are, are interacting with other people or seeing the world differently? Absolutely, I do. <clears throat> it's one of the things that I, has driven me into this is because, you know, we're in this constant state of feeling incomplete. You know, I, I feel incomplete in this moment. It's a feeling that we all experience. We've experienced it our whole lives. And I think that, you know, it's it's very nurtured by the marketing industry. The marketing industry, the marketing media uses that feeling uh, to swell it <clears throat> with their advertisement and make us feel like, well, yeah, we know, we know you feel incomplete. And the reason you feel incomplete is because you don't have this car, you don't have this watch, you don't <laughs> have this vacation. It's all these things. And if you just buy this stuff, <clears throat> then you will feel you, that feeling of incompleteness will go away, which is a total uh, falsehood. I mean, we've all had this 
that cycle, we've all repeated that cycle over and over again from the time when we were young kids and we wanted this particular toy to we needed this prom dress to whatever it is. You know, we've we all have we've gotten those things and all we do is replace them with something else almost immediately afterwards. I think it's important to understand that this feeling of incompleteness is not a bad thing. It's there to make us want to grow. It's there to make us want to be more. And it's really the reason why, if you look through history, why we've had all these um, amazing forms of art like the Sistine Chapel and these classical composers and all these this technology, all these inventions have come from us, our curiosity, our desire, our drive to want more. It's the same feeling in my from my perspective. It's just that it gets misinterpreted. And what we end up doing is feeling like, um, <clears throat> I can't be happy right now. I have to get to this place over there. That that mindset puts us at war with the present moment, and it puts us as, at war with the process of accomplishing anything. So I think when we shift that, then what happens is, is we naturally feel uh, more content, more fulfilled, more self-realized, because we realize that that feeling is there to make us grow. We're never going to stop growing. So where we are is where we should be, and we can be happy in this moment. And when everybody begins to feel that way, you know, their thoughts thin out. They don't have all this racing going around in their mind where this internal dialogue is happening and pulling them everywhere from where they are. I mean, it really affects us, Ursula. Even in, like you watch people, they can't even hold a conversation anymore. I mean, they're, they're looking at their phones and texting while they're having a conversation with the person next to them. And we are really not present in what we are doing. We're not enjoying the conversation that we're having with our kids, with our coworkers, with anybody. We're not enjoying the lunch we're eating. You know, we're, we got the, the cell phone or the tablet sitting right next to the plate, you know, and we're taking a bite and then tapping on the, the thing. We are so distracted and it all feels normal. And I think we really need to learn a, a different paradigm, which is happening, by the way. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I really like the um, interpretation you put on that feeling of incompleteness, Tom. It's about wanting us to grow. It's calling us to grow in some way. That's uh, where we're so taught and, and kind of programmed into this feeling incomplete. You have to somehow get rid of it or, or find ways to feel complete in order to not have that feeling. And I, I really like your take on it, that it's, it's, really wanting us to move into something bigger which is uh uh yeah i think a great a great perspective is, well, is if we, if we yeah. didn't have it or so we'd still be in caves because oh, we would be like well this is fine <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean this this will do and that's the reason why we have evolved i mean it, it uh, is because of that uh, again it's just that we all participate in this i need to get more i need to get more i need to get more because the more i get then this feeling will go away. So the people that are trying to sell us the products, they're suffering from the same thing. They want to sell us the products and they can have more money so they can buy more stuff and make the feeling go away in themselves. It's just this cycle that keeps going. And the more of us that wake up to it, the less that are participating in it and the more we become self-realized as to the fact that we have this infinite ability to expand. And that's really a blessing. Mm, yeah. I A lot of the things that, that you've spoken about have touched on um, – things that you feel are important that that you value I, one of the things I, I keep asking people about in, in these interviews is to talk a little bit about whether their business is a reflection of their values because I think that 
what we do, what we choose to do in the world is, is absolutely based on what we feel is important, whether that's conscious or unconscious to us, it's what we act out of. And it has a, a big effect on the impact that you have, the positive influence that you are. So are there, uh, do you feel that your values really come into what you're doing now? And, and in what, what, if so, what ways are, have you brought in those beliefs and values into your business? Well, I think, yes, I think my values, uh, all of my work is a reflection of my values. Uh, I care about people. I was, you know, raised in a very caring family and I care about people. And I, I don't think there's anything that is more satisfying than alleviating suffering in other people. And for me, you know, what, that's one of the, the big blessings of what I'm doing is that I'm constantly receiving emails and letters and I'm on the phone with people or speaking someplace and people are coming up and their um, <clears throat> what their interpretation is of the work that I do is um, is one of uh, huge gratitude and some of these people uh, you know actually are clutching the book and saying you have completely changed my life and my experience of I don't know how you can you can match that with anything else and uh, certainly not with money uh, or stuff. So for me, I, uh, I really have realized in my life that, uh, you know, somebody were to say, well, you know, what would you like to have uh, material wise? I really, there really isn't anything I don't have. Anything else that I would get would be superficial. And I've really realized that uh, my happiness doesn't come from acquiring stuff. And when I was in my service business, I went into multi-million dollar houses all the time, and they had uh, they had to have an inner, you know, be a family of uh, four in a forty thousand square foot house. They had intercoms to find each other. I, I, I just, you know, it just to me, it's like I'm not really sure I understand the point of all of this. Uh, and so I have learned that, and I so because of that, I think I have a perspective that I can pass on to other people, and also. Because I have been through tough times in my life and I have used everything that I teach to get through those tough times, I feel like I'm very sensitive to uh, and have a lot of empathy for people that are struggling. And that's one of the things that I've noticed. I, I did a talk one time for a tech group and <clears throat> it was a bunch of technical entrepreneurs and I was talking about this stuff here, thought awareness training and all that. And it was the talk was only supposed to go on for about 10 to 15 minutes. I was one of a number of speakers. And they basically had to stop it because the Q&A wouldn't end. Everybody was asking me all these questions after I stopped talking. Well, what came out later was that the people said, you know, I have been building this business. And everybody that, we, that is usually up talking at these things is telling us how to upload a video file faster. You know, it, it, they said no one has actually looked at what I'm experiencing internally. And I don't know that I've even figured out what I'm experiencing internally, but at least you've started a dialogue. This is what they're saying to me. You started a dialogue, and now I'm starting to think about, yeah, this is how I process my day, and I am in my thoughts, and I'm, I'm not really fully engaged in what I'm doing. I'm just, my mind is everywhere, and I feel exhausted at the end of the day. Well, that's because, you know, they've done some studies on uh, 
internal dialogue versus conversation. You know, when you have a conversation with somebody, and I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but it's an astronomical difference. It's like, you know, in a normal 60 seconds of uh, face-to-face conversation, it's a couple hundred words. In internal dialogue in that same period of time, it's several thousand. So, you know, the mind is able to talk and talk and talk and talk. And it's very exhausting because all that talking is thinking and thoughts. And those thoughts all have emotions tied to them. And people, at the end of the day, they've lost so much productivity, so much life energy. So I do think my values have impacted people because I'm trying to share them through the work. Yeah. Uh, is that something that you talk about when you're marketing your, I mean, you do speaking and coaching and, and of course you're, you're writing with your books. Is that, is that something that you've integrated into what you do or and it, is it a natural thing or do you kind of keep it as a background thing that? No, I'm very much a storyteller. And all, uh, that's really how I teach. I've been known for that since the time I was a kid. I do impersonations. <laughs> so I, uh, I don't have a problem making fun of myself. And uh, I share when I get up in front of people and I'm talking, I share a lot of personal stuff uh, about, about me. And, <clears throat> you know, when you write a book like The Practicing Mind and Fully Engaged, the tough part is that people expect you to be always on, you know, and I'm, you know, walking the walk is, uh, is just as difficult for me as it is for everybody else. I've certainly gotten better at it over the years. But, um, you know, one of the stories I, I tell is one day I was in the kitchen with my older daughter. She's 26 now. And I, I don't remember what it was about, but I got on a rant about something. And one of my books was on the kitchen table and she slid it across the table to me. She said, Dad, I think you need to read chapter three. (laughs) So, you know, I I enjoy um, sharing personal stories because I think that that's what men, people are able to relate it to their own lives, uh, to their own business, because I've talked about what I've done right and what I've done wrong in business, what expectations I have had in business that were completely unrealistic, but I didn't know, and how that impacted my self-confidence, all those types of things. I think it's very important because uh, I never want, well, actually, I would say that some of the people that have hired me have said, to, to come and work at their company, have said, the reason I wanted you is because I didn't want some uh, academic who's just done research on this. I wanted someone that had learned this by being in the trenches and applying it to their life, and that's that certainly is me. Well, I mean, you talk about being in the trenches, but part of having impact and wanting to make a difference in the world, I think we can get so engaged and caught up in that. And you talked before about have, having your service business and working so many hours and not having time for, for life. Is, is this something that you have consciously dealt with or, or focused on as you've moved into what the work you're doing now so that your self-care really supports you in having the impact you want to have? And and how do you do that? Well, the the big difference between what I do now and what I did before, it was a service business, you know, with quotes around service. You know, I, a lot of people, the same skills that I have now were present in the service business, which was why I had probably the biggest business in the state. And that was my people skills and the fact that I really loved people. and I enjoyed talking to people. So, you know, I had to go every day. I had to knock on doors and 
walk in a house with somebody that I had no, I'd never met before and I had to start a conversation and develop a trust factor and that was never difficult for me to do so I I found that what I I brought that into what I'm doing now but the difference between what I'm doing now is that I absolutely love what I'm doing I mean I'm interacting with people in a way that is change it's transforming their lives and I just don't think that you can get a job that's any better than that. Whereas before, you know, I was making this note sound good. I, I it was a noble career. I, you know, I made um, the best musicians able to express years of practice through through their um, their instrument. So it was it was a very noble job, but it didn't have the the global type impact that I can have now. It was a very localized thing. It was within a couple how far I could drive, you know, because I had to actually physically be there. Whereas now. I routinely work with people all over the world, and so it's a very different thing. And I think that that is what I have, um, why this has worked for me. And that was one of the things that I, I made a, a very conscious decision that I wanted to spend the second half of my life impacting as many people as I could globally in a positive way. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to do that in a job uh, that was very localized. I mean, I couldn't move, I couldn't do anything if. Because, you know, I'd spent so many years building a client base that was tied to this specific area. It didn't matter what my skill level was. If I went to it two states away, I was going to be an unknown and I was going to have to start all over again. You know, now, it you know, it doesn't matter where I live. I can talk to people, especially through the Internet and um, by phone uh, and Skype and Zoom and all these other things. I can reach out to people. I can reach out to groups of people. I've done online classes where there's a whole bunch of people and they're all on the screen and we're all looking at each other. It's amazing technology. It was it was a great move on my part. It really was. Yeah, that's great. Do you ever feel drawn to uh, doing this kind of work to the point where you you're feeling like there's a – a burnout factor that's starting to come into place or is the energy of it just really sustaining you and, and helping you move forward? Well, I think there are some aspects of it that could burn you out. I mean, you get asked to do um, a lot of creative work. Like these types of things here, a conversation like this, I absolutely love. I, I can't get enough of them. The things when someone says, uh, okay, write down, uh, produce this program where you're applying this uh, these all these techniques and concepts that you're talking about to this specific venue that stuff can get tiring because at the end of the day you've worked with people one-on-one -on -one and then you have to be creatively applying this uh, it, it's really a very different feeling and that to me can get tiring but in general uh, and I think that one of the reasons it can get tiring is because when you're doing that you're not actually interacting with the people when you're interacting with people the feedback that you get, the emotional feedback, uh, the listening to them become so excited about how they're transforming their lives by applying what you're talking to them about is very nurturing for me. So that to me, you don't burn out on. That's actually the thing that keeps you going. Yeah, I have experienced that too. And I've, uh, you see people having ahas and, and making connections. It's really exciting to see. So is one of the things that uh, I've also talked with people about is, you know, we, we kind of tell the story of how our uh, our businesses have, you know, it seems like this straight path and everything went smoothly and and evolved in a in a way that was, you know, 
generally positive, but all of us have run into problems or obstacles along the way in making the impact that we want to have is, could you share an example of that? What's happened for you in that case and what you've done to move through it? I, I always think it's helpful for people to hear, yes, I have dealt with an issue and, and I've been able to move past it and, and continue to have impact. Yeah, I can. I mean, one that I wrote about and fully engaged is the whole process of moving from a very secure, very successful service business. Uh, when I just made the decision to jump off the cliff there, I had kids that were, going to be in, you know, two girls that were going to be in college in a couple of years. And I had all that coming up. And here I was walking away from a business I had a waiting list for and going into very uncharted territory. And it was not... Um, I didn't have enough uh, because I'd never been through it before. I couldn't have known how long it was going to take to become successful. And I was, you know, my original estimates were very poor. Uh, and what ended up happening was I was just hemorrhaging money. And I initially that was OK because I was so cash rich from selling everything. But then I began to think, you know, uh, how long can I maintain this? Eventually, I couldn't and I had to go back. Out, I had to put myself back out on the street. And the irony of that was that I accepted that. I, I went back to the one of the chief concert halls that I had been the top dog in and worked as a roadie uh, because that was what I could get into. And that was a difficult thing to do because it, I had gone from when I walked in there, everybody basically said, Tom's here, everybody off the stage, he needs quiet. To now it was two o'clock in the morning and I was pushing crates up into a semi in the rain and getting yelled at. I mean, it was something I was really not um, was not used to, but I had to do it because I had to stop the flow of money just going out and not money coming in. And I think that uh, that's one of the difficulties in a dream like this. When you have a dream like what I'm doing is that is main is staying in the game long enough for things to come around. And um, I think that I remember hearing a story uh, by Randy Travis, you know, the country Western singer when he started out and, you know, he had all kinds of problems when he was younger. And then he ended up in a relationship with an older woman who felt that uh, he, he could be a hit and they ended up, I, I think they may have gotten married, but it's really not important to the story. But I think I remember she mortgaged her house and all these things to try to support his career. And they, they hit rock bottom. I mean, there was a point where he was uh, he was washing dishes in a restaurant. She was waiting tables in the restaurant and they were broke. And but eventually it all turned around and he became this huge super success. And somebody asked him in an interview, I remember seeing him in this interview and somebody said, you know, so what does it feel like to be like this, you know, multimillionaire and have all the success and everything? And he said, well, it was a 10 year overnight success. And, my <laughs> and that's really, you know, what um, what my experience was It you know, it took years after I did that, uh, after I sold the business for the practicing mind to get up to a point where it was really paying me very well. And it was as a self-published author. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I had to take a, a, a drop back when it got picked up by a major publisher, because up until that point, all of my income was coming from book sales, which was considerable. But then when you go with a publisher, it, it drops down because you get a smaller piece of the pie and uh, right. you supposedly sell more pies. But but then you get the reach. 
And I could have, you know, selling the book on Amazon and a website, I, there's no way that I could have gotten the reach that I have now if I hadn't been with a publisher, uh, you know, being in airport bookstores and Costco's and stuff. I mean, that's just something you can't accomplish by yourself. So my point is, is that it was it was a long period of time. I had to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I also had to take note, going back to what we were talking about earlier, was when you're in that mode, it's very easy to not notice the people's lives that you're changing. I mean, every now and then, I would, you know, I would be getting these letters from people and thank you so much for writing this book. And then they would give these stories of their lives and be very personal, revealing information about their struggles and stuff. And they had never even met me. And this is coming through a contact form on my website. And I was like, you know, I have read some some books have been have profoundly influenced me. And I have not once in my life taken the time to write to the author. I need to notice this, that I'm making this kind of a difference, because like I said, I think you can get as an entrepreneur, you can get so wrapped up into the day to day struggle of what do I do now? I've got to get cash from someplace and all these other things that happen that you don't notice these impacts that you're making and the success. And to use the. The, the original book, the um, the practicing mind. I talk about the sailor who's always trying to get to the horizon, which is moving away from him, right. and he never notices the wake behind the boat. Um, you know, it feels like he's not going anywhere because he keeps looking at the horizon. But if he turns around, he sees how much incredible distance that he's traveled. Yeah, um, you've you've highlighted so many great points in in your own in sharing that story about your own journey, and and uh, things do tend to take longer than you anticipate. It's helpful to have a cash reserve. It's helpful to be aware of what you're doing along the way, so that it's that's sustaining to get a sense of the impact that you're having and the the work the good work that you're doing. So, is is there advice or an insight that you would share with another business owner who's asking themselves, how can I have more impact? How can I make a positive difference? What would you say to them? Well, I would say, number one, you know, the old saying, do what you love and, uh, and the money will come. If you're doing what you love, uh, and that is the important thing because we spend so much of our time in our career. Uh, and, uh, if you're doing what you love, then what will happen is you will be you will make an impact because your passion for it will come through. It really doesn't matter what it is. Uh, I mean, I've worked what you can be on a grass crew, uh, you know, cutting grass. If you're really into that, people will appreciate it. You will have an impact on the people. They will enjoy your work. They will enjoy the results of your work. I think that's really very important. I remember we had a discussion one night. I was out to dinner with a group of people uh, and one of the the uh, the the person at the the table in the restaurant had left a corporate job and had started a job in teaching um, teaching yoga and they had started a studio and they were actually doing pretty pretty well but some of the people got on them about this you know are you uh, you know how much money do you have in your four hundred one k and all this sort of the conversation and what I found was fascinating by it was the woman that had left. She was doing fine financially. She was making all of her bill payments. She had extra money. She was actually going to yoga retreats and enjoying her life. One of the other people there uh, said, you know, 
I'd love to, I wish I could go with you. And she said, well, why don't you go with to the retreat? And she goes, well, I can't because I work at this company and they won't let me have off and everything. But right after that, she's saying, but let me tell you something. You need to be saving for your retirement. And I'm thinking, this is such an interesting disconnect here because the, this one person is is living their dreams. They're impacting all these people and they're enjoying what they do and they are saving money. But this other person who hates their job and spends 30 percent of their life in it is trying to talk the other person out of the where they are in their <laughs> life. And um, I, I just thought it, I was just sitting there observing the whole thing. But I, again, the, the person that was had left her job and, and started the studio, this yoga studio, she had a waiting list because she was doing what she loved. And um, she was actually just making decisions of, she said, I don't want to be teaching uh, 10 classes a week. She said, I want to have some time to myself. And she could do that because the demand for her was so high because she was doing what she loved. What she was doing before that was working in a law office and, uh, and not very happy at it. So I think it's really important that people, you know, uh, I think Oprah always said, you know, find your dream and go after it uh, and things will things will work out. But you all at the same time, you have to be somewhat pragmatic. You have to realize that uh, there is a lot involved in it. And and that's another thing that you have to pay attention to so that you don't just, you know, quit some great job that you have that's paying all your bills and start something out that isn't going to work. But I, th I think it's very important. If I always told my kids, there's two things you have to think about with your career. One is you have to like what you do. I said, you know, even if you don't absolutely love it, you do have to like it because if you don't like it, 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 it really doesn't matter how much money you make. You'll hate going to work. On the other hand, um, it has to pay you enough that you can have some of the experiences that you want in your life, because if it doesn't pay you enough to do that, even if you like it to begin with, you'll start to resent it. Because you're in a position where you can't do anything, you can't have uh, your life can't expand. You can't take uh, experience some of the things that you want to do because you never have enough money. So those two things have to balance themselves out. Yeah, I think that's uh, really. Uh, I love that you've touched on both sides because that do what you love thing gets touted as the solution to everything, and there there is the aspect of ensuring that you have income in some way and being practical about it too. So I, I like that balance. Well, you, I mean, you've really shown your skills as a storyteller in this interview, Tom, and I, I want to thank you for sharing uh, what your experience has been and, and aspects of your new book, um, fully engaged and, and, uh, that whole journey of self-awareness and enjoying the process. It's, uh, I think going to be really powerful for people to hear. So thank you again for, for being here and for sharing all of that with us today. Oh, thank you, Ursula. It's, it's really been a joy. I really appreciate it. So, uh, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Well, the best page to go to is TomSterner.com. That's just T-O-M-S-T-E-R-N-E-R.com. There, uh, there's actually a short video on a Q&A on Fully Engaged. Um, there is, you can get to uh, sites on the Practicing Mind, uh, coaching pages if you're interested in finding out more about that. There's uh, the Practicing Mind Institute, which I created last year. Uh, basically out of a demand from the readers of the practicing mind asking for more of which fully engaged was, you know, was one of those uh, answers to those things people wanted more. So that was the reason why I, I wrote the follow-up book, but everything starts at TomSterner.com. Great. Okay. Thank you. And thank you again for being here. I uh, thank you for the work you do in the world. I, I think it's uh 
really um, a big gift to people to begin to think about themselves and their work in this way. Thank you. Thank you. So join us for more podcasts on impact. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast channel on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll be notified as soon as new podcasts are available. Thank you to everyone listening for being here. Until next time, to keep that positive flow of energy going in your business so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by entering your name and email at workalchemy.com.